We now come to our sermon passage this morning. We are continuing on in the Psalms of Ascent, which we've been in for the last few weeks. And this morning we're looking at Psalm 122. It's printed for you in your bulletin, or if you have your Bible or your um, Bible app, go ahead and open that. This is Psalm 122. God's word built beautiful and true. A song of ascent of David. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That's where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in this world where we are tossed aside to the left, to the right, all over, that we have your word. As our guidance. That you use it to reveal who you are and what you're up to. And through that we see who we are in you. So in these moments, Lord, show us the Lord Jesus Christ. That our hearts may love him all the more. And teach us by your spirit what it means to be your people. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Where's your safe place? I think most of us in our... Yeah, sorry. I kind of jumped right in on that. But where's your safe place? I think most of us have somewhere in mind that we think uh, it's a place where we feel most ourselves, where we feel most safe and at home. Um, for introverts, it might be a quiet like nook in the corner with a book, very far away from anybody else bothering us. Or you, I should say. For extroverts, it's a, it's a crowd. It's a crowd of people. We're going to go and we're going to be around folks and it's going to be loud and dingy and fun. It might be somewhere tied in your past. It might be like your grandmother's kitchen. It might be the beach. It might be the mountains. It might be Disney World. Whatever it might be, I think most of us have a place where we feel most ourselves. And when we're away from it, we kind of long to be there. In Psalm 122, which we just read, we find someone who has written a song about their place. And the singer and the writer of the song, their place where their hearts feels most free, where they feel most themselves, is Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this song to see what it says, because this isn't just a song one person wrote about the place they really like. It's a song for us as well. Now, a little bit of background before we get into it. We've been in the Psalms of Ascent for the last few weeks, and I've mentioned this. In the middle of the Bible, Psalms 120 to 134, there's a songbook. It's like a mini album, a playlist of songs for travelers. At the time that the psalms were collected together, and when this song was written, if you were a faithful Jew, three times a year, everything stopped. Stock markets shut down, markets were not open, work stopped, and everybody, no matter who they were, traveled from their ordinary town, wherever they lived, to Jerusalem. And these three times a year, these were pilgrimage feasts. When they got there, they would worship together. They would feast in abundance. They would party. They would participate in all these actions that reminded them that who they were was not what they earned in their job. Who they were was not what they had. Who they were was defined by the God 
who had bound himself to his people and was working for their peace. That's what these pilgrimage feasts were, a reminder, a tent post in their calendar that you are the Lord's and he is working peace for you. Now, we come as people who, you know, we're not buying plane tickets to go to Jerusalem three times this year. We live on the other side of Jesus. These pilgrimage feasts pointed to Jesus. And now we're at a point, and I'm going to touch on this a little bit later, where in a sense we have 52 pilgrimage feasts built into our year. That's what Sunday is. That's what Sunday is. That's why the earliest Christians called it the Lord's Day. That's why theologians have called this the Christian Sabbath. Because what we're supposed to do, what Sunday is supposed to be for us, is every week a reminder that who we are is not what we do. Who we are is not uh, defined by how much we can earn or how hard we can work. Who we are is defined by the God who is leading us to rest. Who has brought us rest in the gospel of Jesus. So as we read this song, we aren't just reading a cool poem and song from, you know, 2,500 years ago. We're reading a song that belongs to us as well. We are people that have come into this room this morning, as inauspicious as it may seem. We have come here to hear the gospel of peace. And so our hearts can rejoice as well. I'm going to break this uh, up into a couple of different sections to help get our mind around the passage. And the first one is the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church. Now the singer of this song, his heart is in Jerusalem. If you read through it, it doesn't seem like he lives there. He lives somewhere else. But his heart has been left in Jerusalem. His imagination is filled with the place. And in the words of this song, it erupts from within him. He arrives into the city in verse 2. And he says, our, gate, our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. And he praises the city for being well built. That's what it means that it's closely compacted together. He praises it for being the central place where God's people gather to worship in 4 and 5. He loves that it's the place where they, with all their differences, gather to worship God together. And all this beauty leads him to pray for the peace and prosperity of this place in verse 6. Why? For the sake of his family and friends. What we see here is a person who has found hope and wants it for others. They found a treasure and they cannot wait to share it. The most remarkable to me praise that he gives is in verse 5. He praises it for being a place where God's promises are known. That's what he means when he says, when he speaks about the thrones of the house of David. Now that deserves a little bit more explanation. If you turn to 2 Samuel 7. In 2 Samuel 7, which we're not going to read now, God makes a promise to David. David has, a sense, in a sense, brought a, a measure of peace to the nation of Israel. He's uh, you know, fought these wars, and now they're established in the land. And God makes a promise to David that through one of David's sons in the future, God was going to establish a permanent kingdom. A kingdom that would operate by fundamentally different rules than the kingdoms of this world. It was a hope that God would establish a king that wouldn't use his power for selfish reasons. A servant king who would protect, defend, and bring peace to his people so that they would thrive. In Psalm 122, Jerusalem is being, is being praised for being the place where the torch of this promise burns. That's what it means when it says that the thrones of the house of David are there. Those are the, that's the burning torch of God's promise right there in the middle of that city. For the person who wrote this song, the very reality that Jerusalem existed was a reminder of what God was up to. 
that God was going to bring his king, to establish his kingdom. The hope is even built into the name of the city itself. Jerusalem means city of peace, or the place where peace lives. That's what Jerusalem means. Jerusalem stood as a city on a hill, as the beacon of the hope of the world. The thrones of the other false kingdoms may stand in other cities, but they will fall. But in Jerusalem, a throne where God's kingdom would sit would be established. Of course, we live on the other side of Jesus. That's the king that Psalm 122 longs for. The king who wouldn't just work angles to try and bring some good things to his people. But the king who would come to take on and defeat all that holds us back. The king that would come to reconcile us to God in his life, death, and resurrection. The king that would remove every barrier that stood between us and the love of God. We live on the other side of this kingdom coming. Psalm 122 can only see a shadow of that beauty. So much lays ahead after this psalm. And the promise that Jerusalem stood for was embodied and expanded in Jesus. That's why when we get to the New Testament and it speaks of a spiritual Jerusalem, a heavenly Jerusalem, it's not a place in the Middle East that we have to travel to three times a year to worship God together. In a sense, what's happened is all those hopes were in Jesus. When he burst forth, forth from the grave... Uh, the Spirit of God poured out, and now wherever we are, here in Dunn, North Carolina, we are assured that God is with us just as true as He was at the pilgrimage of Pentecost or Passover in the Old Testament. When we gather into this place, we are coming into the presence of God together. So the, the promises that were uh, embedded there in Jerusalem are embodied and expanded in Jesus. And now, the place where God's peace dwells, it's not a physical city in the Middle East, it's a transcultural, multinational kingdom of God. Experienced in the here and now, when God's people gather with one another and are formed by the love of God and Jesus. And these experiences testify to a reality that God is bringing new life. That part of the gospel is that he's brought us into a new community where we're gathered for love, encouragement, and good deeds. Now, for us, our experience, most of the time in the kingdom of God, is going to come through the local church. Local churches are like little embassies in, in town. Embassies of the kingdom of God. And they serve, or are supposed to serve, as a beacon of a new tomorrow brought by God. Where all that is crooked is made straight. Where all that is wrong is made right. Where all that is sad will come untrue. That's the promise of God's kingdom and the beauty of the church. We aren't there yet. God hasn't culminated and consummated all that his promise has meant. There's so much of the redemption that Jesus fought that is yet to be seen. But the local church is designed to be a foretaste. A foretaste of what is ours. The peace that Jesus has bought. Here's what I mean. It's here in the church where we hear the announcement of the gospel. Now, I think it's easy for us to take for granted how revolutionary it is. But in everywhere else in your life, you have to prove yourself. At your job, you have to work to get your paycheck. At your school, you have to work to make your good grades. Almost everywhere else in the world, you're being judged by what you wear, by what you drive, by the music you like, etc., etc. But you know what the church is designed to be? 
a place where you come in from that world that is bearing down on your shoulders every week and we walk in here and we find out that we are loved and that love comes before anything we've done in our life, good or bad. It's a love that seeks us out. What great news. It's a love you don't have to earn. A love that finds you before you find it. That's why the church is designed to be this place, this respite. We run into this embassy and we are home. And here we're designed to find relationships with one another that, that aren't built upon the values of this world. Here at least you should be able to find a basis for connection and friendship that isn't just meeting some standard. It's a basis. The basis of your welcome here is that you are loved by God, period. This psalm is a song for those who long for this, who've tasted just a bit of it and are hoped for the possibility of that kind of community existing in our lives. But we aren't there yet, like I said. Because as beautiful as this idea of the church is, the reality of our experience sometimes is much different. And so that leads me to my second section, the ugliness of the church. The ugliness of the church. Maybe you heard me read the first verses of this song a few minutes ago. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Maybe you heard that in your heart sank. Because your experience with Christians and with the church has been less than stellar. When you think about religion or church or a pastor or even Jesus, you brace yourself in your body tenses. Because you're remembering ways that you've been wronged. You don't hear it with joy. Because you've been abused or burned out. Now if you read this song and you hear it and it's far from your experience. Let me say this first. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you that you need to fix. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you that you need to fix. There's healing ahead. There's healing that God will bring. It's part of God's promise. But singing 120, Psalm 122 here. I rejoice when they said to me. It's not a switch you flip on. That's what you but let me be clear, if your relationship with the church has been complicated, that doesn't mean this song doesn't belong to you. I say that because the kingdom of God is yours. And it's yours because the king has said so. It belongs to you. You're not a stranger to God. You're not an unwelcome uh, person that just popped in by accident. And if you've been wronged, know that God is not okay with what's happened to you. He's not okay with the way His grace has been weaponized and used against you. But there is healing ahead. And I don't know what the path of your healing is going to look like exactly. But I do know that this psalm, I think, gives us some direction. Like I mentioned earlier, the name Jerusalem means city of peace or the place where peace lives. And peace, when we say that in Scripture, it's not just a feeling of peace. It's not just about getting to a place where we feel peace. I can get there with drugs. It's not just about getting to a place where we feel peace. Because God promises true, complete, and holistic peace. What He is bringing us to is a state where we're not at war with each other. Where we aren't at war with ourselves. That's where all this is going. I've talked about it often. Jesus is making all things new. He's bringing us to a place of wholeness where we are not torn apart in feeling or in reality. And God gives us permission to take steps toward that real peace 
in the here and now. He gives us permission to pursue it. That's what verse 6 talks about when it says we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem. That's praying for the peace of the community of people formed by God's promises. That's praying for peace within God's kingdom. Praying for peace in verse 8 with, within the individual people in God's kingdom. Seeking the prosperity of God's kingdom. Now, let me say a little bit about that. In other words, we seek peace. We seek peace not just for ourselves, but we do have permission to seek that. But seeking peace in God's kingdom, as I said, does not mean keeping peace. It doesn't mean just chasing after a feeling of peace. Seeking the peace of God's kingdom doesn't mean keeping your head down and staying silent. It doesn't. When abuse happens in the church, seeking peace means speaking out. And chasing it down and rooting the darkness out, that is seeking peace. doesn't mean staying silent. I think a lot of times in, in the history of God's kingdom, there have been instances where people think they are seeking peace. And so they make room for abuse. They make room for um, here, here's what I'm thinking of specifically. They make room for uh, they make room for people who maybe uh, are incredibly prejudiced in one way or another. And they say, "Well, they get the gospel. They get Jesus right. They get the gospel right." But that's not seeking true peace. That's not seeking true peace. Seeking peace in God's kingdom sometimes means. Causing a little bit of a ruckus. Using what God's given to your hands to defend people that don't have voices. That's what seeking peace sometimes means. Now seeking God's peace is going to look different for each one of us because God's made us different and we're gifted in different ways. I think us together, one of the ways we are seeking peace is this church. This is a new church plan. And what we're doing right now is we are attempting to carve out and be a part of a place of peace right here and done. Not just a place to come on Sundays, but the beginnings of community that will hopefully be here for generations. A community pointing to the grace of Jesus and his gospel. That's one way of seeking peace. But I think of others. There's a, there's a man named Boz Chabujan. He's actually a Billy Graham's grandson. And he has a voice because he's Billy Graham's grandson. What he's done is he's dedicated his life to being a part of this uh, organization called Grace, and they investigate when abuse claims happen in churches. They go in as third-party investigators, and they walk into the darkest parts of people's church experience and investigate, and they defend those who have been abused. That's seeking peace. That's someone saying, this is my life calling to seek the peace of the people of God. Now that seems like a big thing. You're not a lawyer, probably. I don't think we have any lawyers in here. But we can seek peace in incredibly small ways, too. We can seek peace in things like serving in children's worship. That's seeking peace. You know how that's seeking peace? It's ensuring that the kids of our church know the true Jesus. That they don't grow up with warped ideas of a God that's telling them to jump this high and they just got to keep trying. It's saying no 
My time and my words and my love for this child is going to be served in making sure they know the profound love of God in Christ. That's a small way of seeking peace. We all have different opportunities of seeking peace with with time, with words, with our treasure. When we give to the work of the church, that's seeking the peace of God's kingdom. When we have a kind word, when we have a humble and loving action, when we have compassion and empathy, these are all seeking the peace of God's kingdom. I think what I'm saying is this. The ugliness is real. When we read through Psalm 122, and it doesn't really match our experience all the way, we don't go, well, you know, whatever, and push it away. The ugliness of the church is real. It's real in history. It's real in the present. It's real right here and done. But that is not the destiny of God's people. That is not. He is leading us to His peace. That's not the church's destiny. And we have an opportunity right now, empowered by the love of God in Christ, to chart and to move toward a different way. But that doesn't just happen because we have good intentions or we have enough energy to pull it off. It happens because the church isn't first mine or yours. It is ours. It's because the church is Jesus's. The church is Jesus's. And that brings us to my last section, the price of the church. And the beauty of the church, the ugliness of the church, this is the price of the church. The church belongs to Jesus. I think that's part of what this psalm means at the beginning when it says it's a song of a sense of David. Of David. I spoke earlier the promises made to David, but that wasn't a promise just made to David because he was a really great guy and God would say, here, I'm going to reward you. In fact, if you read through First and Second Samuel, you find a David that is incredibly flawed. A David that made many, many mistakes, and I don't mean small ones. But you see a David who, when he faces the reality of his sin, flees to God. Part of the point of the promise being made to David is that David is an ungodly man, in the words of Romans 4. A man who was justified by faith and not by works, by faith in God, and who was held by his grace and turned from his sin to find the love of God. And so when we see these promises are made to David, in part what God is saying is this. David and his family tree by themselves are rotten. They cannot bring forth the fruit of righteousness of God's kingdom. Jesus didn't just naturally come out of the family line of David. It was going to have to take God acting. That tree cannot naturally bring forth this fruit. God will have to work in a descendant, and he has in Jesus. You know, I said this, the church isn't first mine or yours, it's Jesus. And that's true of this psalm and all the psalms as well. Before there are songs, before we flip here and we find a song for us to read and feel like it devotionally matches our lives, before there are songs, there are Jesus' songs. Jesus often sang the songs. Jesus inspired their writing, and particularly ones that have to do with David. They're all pointing to Jesus. They're his songs. And that's good news this morning because of this. When we read through Psalm 122, we get a picture of who Jesus is and his heart toward us. So imagine this morning someone said, hey, Jesus, Christ Church in Dunn, North Carolina is getting ready to worship at 10 a.m. You know what Jesus said? I rejoiced when they said to me, 
I rejoiced when they said to me that these people are going to be gathered in this room. Made his heart sing. Made his heart leap. This is a song about his commitment to our peace. When he thinks of us, when he thinks of you, he rejoices. He seeks our peace and prosperity. It's his commitment to bring the new community of the church to the blessing that will make, and he will make it happen. He will work in our midst. He will open up opportunities for us to follow him and love him well. He will make us instruments of his peace. And it's not our ability, it's not our good intentions, it's not our tireless effort that will bring it about. And because of that, we can rest in him. He's already shown us the depth of his commitment to our peace. That's what we look at when we see the cross. That's what we look at when we see the empty tomb of his resurrection. All that he accomplished wasn't him just doing a show to impress us for his strength and how powerful he is. But all that Jesus walked through was for us to pave the pathway for us to receive all that he has for us. So take confidence this morning. God is at work. He will not fail to bring about what he has promised. And he loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that you have worked and are at work right now to bring us into a beautiful home, this new community of the church. I pray, Lord, for healing for those of us who have experienced pain in the midst of your people. That we would not turn away from it or try to squash it, but that we would bring it to you in all its ugliness, that we might receive your grace, that we might receive your healing. And that we might be assured that no matter what some errant pastor or supposed uh, person speaking your name has said or done to us in the past, that our grace is assured through you. It's bought through you. So teach us, Lord, to depend upon you, not ourselves, to rejoice in you above all things. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.